in just a minute here, we're going to show you a couple little videos. A couple little videos. If you haven't yet sort of gotten the gist of today, we're going to talk about forgiveness. And uh, so we're going to look at a couple of videos in just a second here. Before we do, I want to point out that we'll be in Matthew 18. If you want to get your thumb there, Matthew 18:21 through 35 is where we're going to uh, mostly focus today. Matthew 18:21 to 35, you're going to want to have that handy. Kids in these videos answer a couple questions. Have you ever forgiven anyone and, and why do we need forgiveness? So it's uh, pretty cool to hear kids answer sometimes. They have a, a gift for sort of cutting to the quick, don't they? And uh, it's pretty cool how these kids answer, answer these questions for us. So uh, let's check this out. Have you ever forgiven someone? Sometimes you're, you just really don't want to forgive them because they hurt you really, really bad. Like, I didn't really want to forgive my sister when she pushed me into the deck. I tried really hard to get my anger away. Then I got, um, then I took it all out and I said, I forgive you. It makes me feel good when I do that. I think it made her feel good, too, somewhere in her heart. Why do we need to forgive? There wasn't forgiveness in the world. God won't even forget give us. Forgiveness is like giving somebody a second chance. And God always wants us to give a second chance to other people. Because otherwise, if we didn't forgive, we might lose all our friends. Because we would just say, I'm not your friend. You're not my you did something wrong. You messed up my stuff. And then everybody would have no friends except imaginary friends. <laughs> uh, that kid at the end is super adorable, isn't he? <clears throat> He's also insightful. He speaks about a truth that we've all experienced, which is, uh, you know, if... If we didn't forgive, he says, we might lose all our friends, and then we're left with imaginary ones. The truth of what he's saying is that forgiveness kept, forgiveness withheld, is friendship lost. Forgiveness kept is friendship lost. It's relationship broken. It's trust being broken in a relationship when forgiveness is not sort of the way that the relationship operates back and forth. And today we're going to talk about all kinds of forgiveness, uh, not necessarily in specific terms, but we're going to talk about forgiveness that ranges from the daily small slights, the things that enter into our relationships all the time, as well as the larger things that hurt us, that bring pain to our lives. And so uh, what we're talking about today applies to all of those. What we've been talking about in this series is what we're calling this mess. Relationships, once you begin to have five minutes of time with another human being, uh, relationships easily get to this place where there's sort of a mess. And the mess is that relational problem, the ugliness that happens between people because of our sin. And, and one, of the, one of the things that we've been saying about this mess is that instead of being something that we try to avoid to keep at arm's length, because that's often how we operate when it comes to the relational messes of our lives, we'd really rather not deal with them, so we keep them at an arm's length, or we create these 
pretend relationships where I can hide behind uh, myself and my, my facade and we don't have to like, actually interact with one another in a way that could become redemptive. We can hide behind our sin and shame. So we contribute to the mess of relationships, especially when forgiveness is not a part of our relationships. Forgiveness has got to be there. And when we do that, when we forget forgiveness... We also end up as believers limiting our personal experience of the joy of the grace of God. We, we withhold that from others and we limit their experience of the grace of God. Forgiveness is what unleashes that kind of grace between one another, between believers especially as we'll see today. That is what unleashes sort of this, this grace uh, joy that we miss. The truth we're talking about today is this, and I'll just say this in a, in a succinct statement. It sounds almost ridiculous to say, but it's true, and I think this is what Scripture is telling us today. God wants us to experience forgiveness that comes from Him through one another. God wants us to experience forgiveness from Him through one another. And as soon as I say that, I know red flags go up in your, in your mind, in your life, because you, like me, you say, <laughs> forgiveness from other people? Are you crazy? Because I know that, like me, you've learned to not trust people. You've learned to hold up people at arm's length. You've, heard, uh, you've learned to not trust relationships with people around you. But one thing we talked about a couple weeks ago is covenanting with one another to stick with the mess. And when we're gathered here, your presence here, when we come around the table, when you drink that juice, when you, when you take of the body and blood of Jesus and you say, I am in the body of Christ, what you're saying is I covenant with others to stick with the relational difficulties. And so forgiveness has got to be there. Forgiveness has got to be something that we extend to one another as a reflection of God extending forgiveness to us in the person of Jesus. Before we jump into the text of Matthew 18, I want to define, and this is for the note takers, we're going to put this on screen, for, define in basic terms the word forgive, to give up the desire or the power to punish. In basic terms, to forgive is to give up the desire or the power to punish. It comes from for and give, and for means, basically it means completely the etymology of the word for is something like completely. And the etymology of the word give is something like uh, give. <laughs> so to completely give. To give away the power or the desire to punish somebody. Spiritually, it has the sense of completely pardoning from the debt owed to somebody. So if you, forgive against, if you sin against me or I sin against you, it's, it's just completely pardoning from the debt that is owed by sin. It's saying not, no, no longer do you not owe me anything. You also don't have to carry around that weight of the previous debt. So we're talking about releasing one another, releasing one another from the debt owed by sin. And that's a tall task. That's a, that's a tall order that Jesus is calling us to. But he takes it seriously. And he says so in Matthew 18. Let's look together at Matthew 18. It's in two basic sections, the first two verses, and then 23 through 35. We're going to focus for a little while here on the first couple of verses. Start at verse 21 with me there. 
Matthew 18, 21, it says this. Then Peter came up and said to him, meaning Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. He says, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? You see, Jesus had just told them before this how to go about forgiving one another, how to deal with sin in the body of believers. He talks about that in the previous section there. Turn with me a few verses back to verses 15 through 17. This is where Jesus has just gotten done telling the disciples how to deal with sin against one another. So this is primarily in the context of the body of believers. He says this in Matthew 18. He says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his faults between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. So in other words, this is how you do it one-on-one, then take along a person or two, and then go before the whole church, the whole congregation. That last part could also mean uh, the leadership and eldership. So Peter's question here, when you first read that in verse 21, you read that and you think, well, this is sort of out of nowhere. But, but when you know the preceding context, it totally makes sense. So Jesus has just told them how to do it. And then Peter comes along and he says, wait, 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 wait. So how often? Like, what are the limits to this, Jesus? And so his question makes sense. Verse 21, he says, I hear you, but what are the limits? He says, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? And then he answers his own question. As many as seven times, he says. Is seven enough, Jesus? I mean, that would, that would seem like enough, right? <laughs> he thinks himself sort of big-hearted when he says this to Jesus, like, like, I would go that far, Jesus. I mean, like three, which was a Jewish tradition, a Jewish tradition of doing three times of forgiveness meant you sort of functionally fulfilled the law. And so Peter says, let's just go beyond three. I mean, like, I'm, I love you, Jesus. I'm ready to follow you all the way. I can forgive. Let me do this. And so he picks seven, which in Jewish tradition means like enough, completely, seven days of creation. And Peter says, huh, I'll go with you seven. Mm. And then Jesus says, verse 22, sort of deflating his pride. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Some of your versions say 70 times seven. I think mine's right and yours is wrong. But anyway, it doesn't matter a whole lot. (coughs) 77 times. Now, Jesus says this, and Peter and his disciples must have thought, well, that's not... That's not even possible, Jesus. Like, are you crazy? Like, there's, there's no limits to this? Let's keep looking at what, what Jesus is saying here. This is cool stuff. Jesus is entirely serious. He's saying, listen, Peter, you want to follow me? Then do what I do. Don't ever forget that. What Jesus is calling us to is saying, do what I do. When you follow Jesus, it's not do what these people have done. That's disciple-making in our own image. This is Jesus standing up and saying, do what I do. So he ratchets up the expectations, and he talks like a typical rabbi at the end of this. He says, you've heard it said this, but I tell you this. You have heard this, but I'm here to establish that what I mean is really this. 
You can look at Matthew 5 for some cool places where he does that before. He's, he's ratcheting up the expectations. So what we're going to read about here is radical stuff today. He says, you've heard it three, because, you know, Jews thought three was enough. Peter says seven, but I tell you, not just seven, but 77 times. Jesus isn't just saying here, by the way, we're not going to look at Matthew 5 people up top, by the way. So just thank you. Jesus isn't saying grace stops at 77 or 490. It's not like suddenly grace is over at 78 or 491. What he's saying is grace just plain keeps on going. He is saying that grace extended to you must always result in grace extended to others. Now here's a really cool additional Bible tidbit that helps us understand what Jesus was trying to communicate here. He is not just arbitrarily picking 77 or 492, expand Peter 7. It is likely that he is intentionally choosing 77 times because he's reversing Genesis 4, 23 to 4. You don't have to turn there. We will show you this on screen, however. Genesis 4, 23 and 4. Lamech had just murdered somebody for simply striking him, and he was very proud of his vengeance. He's proud of the way that he took justice by himself. And he says, if Cain's revenge, and Cain's revenge was established by God, if Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is 77-fold. And, and he's sort of holding himself up. He's saying, if God's vengeance is sevenfold, then mine is 77-fold. What he's saying here is that he is better able to take care of himself by murdering someone, then God was able to take care of Cain. He is saying, listen, this is how you achieve personal justice. What Lamech is saying is that personal revenge is what works to mete out justice. So look back at Matthew 18. This is super cool what Jesus is saying here. He's pulling out of Genesis 4 here, so don't miss this. This is radical stuff. Jesus is saying that Lamech couldn't carry it out, that you cannot carry it out. He's saying, in fact, that justice does not happen through vengeance. What he's doing is he's saying, I have come, I've died for you, and justice is carried out through forgiveness. He turns it all the way around. He blows their mind by saying, seven, seven isn't the answer. Seventy-seven isn't the answer. Forgiveness is the answer. And there's no limit to what I'm calling you to do to extend that to others. That's the super cool stuff that is going on here in the passage. Jesus is saying that only by God's grace will believers be able to extend to others practicing forgiveness in a way that undoes the human system of achieving justice. Anybody here ever tried to achieve justice on their own? <laughs> of course not. Jesus is saying you don't achieve justice through vengeance, but through forgiveness. Real justice and reconciliation between people can happen, not from vengeance, but from forgiveness. So with that introduction in mind, he begins to tell this parable in the next verses, starting there at verse 23. 
He begins to tell a parable. And a parable is not just like an earthly story, heavenly meaning. A parable can be a story. It can be a phrase. It can be a couple words that, that form a word picture. It's any way to describe with normal human life, a spiritual truth. And Jesus teaches like this all the time. 35% plus of his teachings were in the form of a parable. And so he tells one now to speak of how justice works in this new kingdom. So justice works like this, verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. In Matthew, kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God are the same kind of concept. Verse 23, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. So remember this, he has lots of servants. We'll come back to that later. And Jewish rabbis often began their parables like this by saying, this can be compared to this. And so Jesus comes along and says, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to this. There's this king who had lots of servants, verse 24. When he began to settle his accounts... One of the servants was brought to him who owed him, and then all the people would be listening, and then he would say 10,000 talents, and everyone within earshot goes, what? One talent is 20 years average worker's pay. 10,000 talents represents here by Jesus earnings that no one could ever fathom being able to pay back. It's a debt you cannot pay back at all. So in, in modern terms, 20 years of labor at 15 bucks an hour times 10,000 is $6 billion, which is for us an inconceivable amount and for anybody listening to Jesus is likewise an inconceivable amount. So that's the, the point here. The point is this is a huge debt no one could ever repay, which is why he says this, verse 25, since he could not pay, meaning the servant, he could not pay the master, his master ordered him to be sold, which was common. If you couldn't pay the debt, you put yourself into what we call bond service. And if it was a huge debt, your whole family might go into debt until you paid it off. This is a common practice. So... The master ordered him to be sold, verse 25, with his wife and children and all that he had and ordered that payment be made. Verse 26, so the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, begging him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, verse 27, the word pity there is the same that's used in Matthew 9 when it says that Jesus had compassion on the crowds. He had pity on the crowds. So this word pity is not just like human pity. This is godly pity. This is compassion. So grace is at work here. Out of pity for him, verse 27, the master of that servant released him and forgave the debt. But, verse 28, when that same servant who had just been forgiven went out, he found one of his fellow servants, remember, fellow servants, this is in the context of the body. This is where this begins. Who owed him a hundred denarii. Now, a denarii, a hundred denarii in basic terms would be about 20 weeks of earnings. About $12,000 in uh, today's income, which is 500,000 times smaller than $6 billion. 0.0002% of $6 billion. So this first servant, forgiven $6 billion, goes out, finds somebody who owes him $12,000, and begins to choke him. It's a pittance in comparison. 
to what the servant was forgiven. So seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. Notice, notice, the servant, the first servant went into the meeting with the master very aware of his indebtedness, very aware of the personal weight of debt owed that could not be repaid. And then the servant goes and that sort of tangible sense of what was owed before, gone. There's now no sign of that same awareness. Verse 29. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, begged him, have patience with me and I will repay you. He refused and went and put him into prison until he should pay the debt. Now remember, we said at the beginning, there are other servants here. They come into play here. Verse verse 31. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. These servants were powerless to do anything about the injustice here. And they understood that. Notice that. So they went to the master. Verse 32. Then his master summoned him and said, You wicked servant. He names him. He says, You're a wicked servant. He now knows that. I forgave all the debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had on you? And in anger, the master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all the debt. And then Jesus says this, So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. In this parable, in this parable, forgiveness from God extended to others inseparably linked. Forgiveness from God and forgiveness for one another are inseparably linked for the real follower of Christ. And Jesus is saying, if one happens, but not another, who is the real follower? Grace extended to you must result in grace extended to others. The truth is that forgiveness experienced will always produce in the follower of Christ grace demonstrated. Forgiveness experienced will always result in the follower of Christ in forgiveness demonstrated to others. There are no loopholes in the parable. There's no what ifs. There is no, oh Jesus, but you don't know my story. There's forgiveness experienced. And the believer of Christ will result in forgiveness demonstrated. Now I know as soon as I say this, and I know as soon as I point out that there are no loopholes in the passage, no what ifs, Jesus, you don't know my story, that it brings up in all of us personal experiences of hurt, distrust, personal treason, ways we've been abandoned, ways some of us have been abused. And so I'm not here standing before you saying that forgiveness is easy, because it's not easy. The Master 
takes a hit not being paid what he was owed. Forgiveness for God is costly. It doesn't come easy. It comes at great cost to a God who limits himself in the person of Jesus to die for us. That is the greatest cost possible. Six billion is infinitely less than what that really is worth. He could have required from us a debt we couldn't repay, but he didn't. So for us, to extend it to others also requires some cost. Just for example, it, it, may, recost, it, may, it may require, it may cost some humility. It may cost limiting what one knows one is owed and assuming nothing comes back. It may mean saying to somebody, I entirely forgive you knowing you're still owed and wanting to take vengeance and justice yourself. In fact, forgiveness is not just something you do at one time and it's over. Forgiveness is something just like when we dedicate our hearts to Christ. You make a decision. You give your heart. You're, you're in full trust at the moment. And then you continue to learn what that means and what that looks like. When you forgive somebody, it's going to require continuing humility. It can even require continued humility uh, because there are some who seem to bury the hatchet but they go through life holding the map, showing everybody where it's buried. It's not easy because we're not just talking about the small stuff, the small slights of day to day. We're talking about the big stuff, the hard stuff, the hurtful things, the abandonment, the abuse. And we're here to say that it's costly and we understand that. Forgiveness isn't easy and so we're not going to pretend that it is. It costs us something. Our friend Shaley is going to come and tell us a little bit about her story of the cost of forgiveness. Forgiveness was really hard for me and, and I don't need you to know my whole backstory to understand where I'm going to come from. I'm going to give you a few details. One, my dad's a truck driver, which means he doesn't come home often. He's the type of truck driver that's out for three or four weeks, and he comes home a couple times a month. And two, my mom was very unhappy growing up. In my family, my mother was unhappy, and she wanted to leave my dad. And so, no lie, my dad came home like five to eight days out of a month. And because my mother was so angry, every time he came home, he was faced with a, a decision he had to make. He could either take my mom's side and be upset with his kids, or he could take our side and have an angry wife. And it's not an easy decision to make, but the fact that she wanted to leave him and he knew swayed his decision because he always chose her. So to make a long story short, I was never a daddy's girl, and he was never my hero. And I never realized how much my relationship with him affected me until I started going to church. And when I started going to church, I learned what a family looked like and how it was supposed to be. And I learned that my family wasn't healthy and that it was broken. 
And at first it hurt. And as I learned more and more, and as I watched the families around me, and I watched the girls my age around me latch onto their dads, even through their teen years, just loving their dads, it hurt. And then eventually I became angry. And I felt like something was taken from me. And I became prideful. And my anger was justified. And my anger was righteous. And I had a right. I had a right. And my dad had a debt. And I was mad. And so... So I was sure that I was never, never going to forgive him. Because I was never going to get my childhood back. And I was, he was never going to be my hero. And... And I decided that I was done. I was done with him, and we just weren't gonna have a relationship until, until I felt a calling to Christ's work. And and I decided that I was gonna forgive him, and that and that began the process of of forgiving and healing that I thought was gonna take forever, until one day my dad walked into this church, and he pulled Pastor Scott aside, and he said, "I want my daughter back." And at first I thought, never. Never will I forgive him. I can't do it. I thought I could, but I can't. And then I, I gave it a second thought, and I said, well, this is it. This is, this is the pivotal moment where I can choose to follow what I believe and forgive my father, or I can choose to turn him away and hurt him as much as he hurt me. And so I sat in this sanctuary, and I prayed, and I didn't really know what to do, so I left. And when I got home, the story of Christ washing his disciples' feet was on my heart, and it was heavy on my heart. And I didn't know what it meant for me. And so I talked it out with Scott and Tommy. And we talked about what it would look like for me to forgive my father. And it wasn't just, you know, okay, you're forgiven and that's it. And I knew I knew I would struggle with it a lot. And there would be days that I would be okay. And so my forgiveness looked like this. My dad came here. He met me here. And Scott and Tommy were with us. And we talked. And I heard him out and he heard me out. And then I got on my knees and I washed his feet. And it cost me my self-protection. And I had to take down all my walls that I had built for years. And I had to lay down my anger and my justice and my righteousness that I thought I had. I had to lay it all down. And I had to trust that even if my relationship wasn't fixed because I forgave him, that I would be okay. Because in order to forgive him, I had to expect nothing in return. And that was the hardest part. So I washed his feet. I got down on my knees. And I decided to do that because I needed to show my father that, that I didn't think I was higher than him. I wasn't better than him. And so I got on my knees, and it took humility. And I washed his feet. And I prayed with him. And I trusted in God that even if it didn't fix things, that I would be okay. And so things aren't perfect with me and my father. Um, it didn't mean that our relationship was going to take off into full bloom. And it's still, it still hurts time and time. Um, but I'm okay. I had to understand that even though, even though I wasn't going to get that, that relationship with my father, that I had a relationship with my heavenly father because my heavenly father chose me. He died on a cross for me. And with every, every hit and every nail he took, he was choosing me. And he chose to forgive me. And, and because he chose to forgive me, I could choose to forgive my father. And he enabled, he enabled me to do that because the only thing that came out of me holding on to my anger 
was that my father wouldn't see Christ in me. And I wouldn't be able to follow my father, my heavenly father, wholeheartedly. I wouldn't be able to love him completely because I had issues with my earthly father. And so when I accepted that I had a heavenly father that loved me and he chose me, it enabled me to forgive my father for not choosing me. Let's pray with Shannon. Father in heaven, we are grateful for Shaley's courage to forgive when it's hard, to forgive when there's no guarantee of earthly response in ways that would make up for the loss. But Father, we are grateful that you're a God who through your spirit guarantees that you will shape us and form us into men and women whose lives exemplify your Son, Jesus Christ. We're grateful for Shaley and that she's taken that step of forgiving when there's a real loss and when it's hard. Enable us as the body of believers, Lord, to continue to create for her a family where she becomes the woman you created her to be so she can be on fire and on mission for Christ in a way that uh, shows with who she is and how she behaves, how she loves, and how she forgives. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. I want to close by just pointing out one thing about what Shaley said there toward the end. She said, the only thing that comes out of holding on to my anger is that my dad wouldn't be able to see Christ in me. Friends, that's huge. When a community of people have grace as a lubricant for our relationships, when a community of people can forgive and seek forgiveness from one another, Christ is made known in us. And the gospel is personified, exemplified through his people. When that begins to happen, it's the glory of God that is on display. And people look at our lives and they say, that is God. Only God can do that. Only God can bring forgiveness like that. And we have the opportunity to extend that kind of grace to one another. Please don't miss the opportunity to do that in your own life. Let's pray together.